Good morning. We are in Hebrews, and we are studying Hebrews chapter 8 today, but uh, we're going to have to back up because if you've read Hebrews chapter 8, you will realize that half of Hebrews chapter 8 is really just a part of Jeremiah 31 from the Old Testament. Okay, but now if we're going to talk about Jeremiah 31 from the Old Testament, we have to back up even further to an assignment I gave all of you last week. And it's an ongoing assignment, so don't worry if, uh, if you don't know the answer to this quite all, all yet. Um, but it is, what are the covenants of the Old Testament? And we talk about covenants in the Old Testament for a Jew is really super important. Um, the Old Testament, or what <laughs> that, that a Christian calls the Old Testament, is really a fancy way of saying the Old Covenant. Okay, And the Greek word that has been taken and translated into English is diatheke. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it means a lot to the people who translated the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into English. Diatheke means a covenant, or a contract, or, kind of, a last will and testament. This is going to be very important later. <clears throat> Let me write this out here. Diatheke. Diatheke. Covenant. Now, real quick, what is a covenant? Agreement between two parties. Between at least two parties. Okay. It's a promise. A promise. Woo. Here we go. Agreement. Promise. Let me just write all this down. Agreement. Promise. <clears throat> what does it typically uh, involve? Is is there anything to it, or is it really just kind of fluff? <clears throat> typically, <clears throat> there's usually consequences if you don't follow or and then blessings if you do okay okay sometimes yes that's true so there seems to be uh, <clears throat> um, maybe reward or penalty <laughs> yeah okay there we go we got conditions <clears throat> but conditions for what, what what why do most people make a will like let's say I'm gonna make a will <laughs> okay why am I doing that what it what is it for it's a transfer of <clears throat> from one party to the next a transfer of what usually Money or stuff. Property. stuff yeah. Money, property, exactly. Material possessions, stuff, substance. It's typically some kind of uh, physical thing. Um, <clears throat> exchange. An exchange, yep, 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 yep. And <laughs> typically, if you're talking about a last will and testament for, uh, for a person today, um, what, when does that will typically become active? <laughs> when you're dead. When you're dead, okay. Death activates. Okay. Given that, back up. There are at least seven major covenants in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, covenants are typically between whom? God and man. Man and who? God. God, God and man. Yep, okay. <clears throat> between God and human humanity, we'll say. There are seven major covenants in the Old Testament, or <laughs> Old Covenant. Um, or in the Hebrews, would say, in our Bible, our Hebrew Bible, there are seven covenants. What are they? Do you know them? Salt Covenant. Say it again. Salt Covenant. Isn't it? Say it again. Salt. Salt. Covenant. Mm. Mm. That's a little abstract. They're a little more concrete than that. Abraham. Abraham. Okay. Turns out there's actually two. 
and we'll call him Abraham A. I want you to remember this. So after we're done today, take a picture. <laughs> it, this will be your cheat sheet. <clears throat> so will the first one be Abram instead of Abraham? You can, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Noah. Yes. Okay. The rainbow. Yep. Covenant. We'll go through each one and what they are. Moses. <coughs> yep. Um, Davinic or David. Yep. One is really obscure. You might not get it. I'll give it to you. It's the the Phineas. And if I spell it, it's wrong. This is a, we'll get to this in just a minute. It's kind of an obscure one. And then there's one final one in Jeremiah. Oh, verb? Ezekiel. Didn't Ezekiel have a covenant? Is there one with... Might be a minor one, but not for the, this. In the garden? Uh, or is... This relates to if you're a Christian. Oh. Oh. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the... New Testament. Or New Okay. New covenant. The new covenant. Very good. All right. What are each of these? Very briefly, each one is a contract between God and man. There's two kinds of covenants. This is really, really, really important. One kind is an unconditional covenant or grant. An unconditional covenant implies what? No conditions. No conditions. If there's no conditions, can the covenant be revoked? No, it is an unrevocable, unconditional. Five of these are unconditional. Hmm. Oh, I'm writing this down. Meaning they cannot be revoked. Two of these are conditional. That implies what? They can be broken. They can be broken and revoked. So there are two here. Conditional. Conditional. Okay. What is the covenant with Noah? Who did that cover? Everybody, mankind. Everybody. Everyone on earth. All life on earth. What was it a covenant of? What did it say? We wouldn't uh, destroy the earth with uh, um, flood anymore. That was it? I, God, hereby declare that I shall never destroy the earth by flood again. That is an unconditional flood. To destroy the whole earth. The second one is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the first one. It's an unconditional one. What was this? There's two. Do you remember? Is that the one we promised as many as the stars in the sky, if they can be counted? That's this one. Okay. There's another one here. This is the. This has to relate to kind of to the Exodus. If you think about why would they exodusing? Oh, leaving Ur. Morning. I like to draw my fancy map on the side here. What am I drawing typically of my map? The promised land. The first Abrahamic covenant is of land. Who is the land for? The Jews. 
Jews specifically, descendants of whom? Abraham. Yes, land for all. Glad you guys are here because we've been struggling. Abraham. <laughs> There you go. Now this is good. This look. Um, so funny story. So I have a master's degree in science education. Um, it, it was an okay program. Probably one of the, the best things that, that came out of that program was this idea that you need to let your students struggle because if you just sit there and do the whole um, Ben Stein thing. Who has seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? It, it, ben Stein. Excellent in that movie as the economics teacher sits there to a class of people sleep. I'm making no comparisons to you. <clears throat> Sitting there sleeping in class, and he goes through this, you know, advanced economic theory. And what does he do? He every time he asks a question, he asks the question, he repeats it, and then he gives you the answer. And meanwhile, all the students are sitting there like, why the blank do I even need to be here? I have no role. I don't have to think for myself. I'll just wait, and he'll give me the answer. One of the things that I learned in my program, which is very smart, is don't do that. <laughs> don't just wait, tell them something, and then give them the answer, because then they're not thinking. It's okay to struggle. And in fact, there's this whole like five-second rule or 10-second rule, and I will wait. I will wait until someone gives me an answer. It's really important. So the fact that I'm not hearing something sometimes is a good thing. It means you're thinking, and that's what I want. Okay. <clears throat> Abrahamic Covenant A, unconditional. It cannot be broken. A promise of land to all of Abraham's descendants, okay? Now, what's the other Abrahamic covenant? Uh, it implies that he's going to have descendants because he didn't at that point. There you go. He's gonna have descendants to fill the land. You're gonna have this land, now guess what? You're gonna fill it, but here we go. Oh, I didn't put the microphone there, thinking no one would sit there. What? This was a conditional one. This said, yeah, you will have a group of people that I will have a relationship with. <clears throat> here, the promise, and here, this is land, this is no flood. Here the promise was, I will be your God. That was the promise. That was what God was offering. I will be your God. <clears throat> What was the condition? This is one of two conditional covenants. What was the condition on which this whole covenant rested? It has to do with male parts and it's uncomfortable to talk about. Circumcision. It relied on circumcision. You cannot be a member of my inclusive Abrahamic community unless you are a male and you become circumcised. This was a huge deal for the Jews. Now, we could get into all kinds of things about how did they know if they were circumcised. They would find out. <laughs> uh, so they would know. Um, <clears throat> so that's conditional. Sorry, I did this. So this, this. What is the Sinai covenant? This was another, this is only one of two conditional covenants. What was it? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, which is what in a, in a broader sense? The, the law. The law, yes. <coughs> this is the law. This is the law. Why is it conditional? What is it a promise of, first of all? What is the promise? God is giving you something. What is the promise? Live long in the land. God will protect and bless you. But the law can't save you. Well, we'll get to that. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. That's a good one, girl. You got it. Okay. What was man's response? Now remember, there's only two things here. 
that are conditional. In this case, God is promising, I will be your God if you circumcise all of your males. The second one is the Sinai law. I will, I will be your God and protect and bless you if you, what in return? Follow the law. You are obedient. This is an obedience. As long as you follow my law, Torah, and you are obedient to it, I will in turn bless and protect you. Can that law be broken? Yes. You better believe it. You better believe it. Now we get to the last three. Phineas, this is an absolutely fascinating story in numbers. I will not recount it because it's a bit uh, salacious. But uh, this this happened uh, during the Exodus. This is a promise of an eternal priesthood. What is the Davidic covenant? That he will always have somebody sitting on the throne. This is of an eternal dynasty. And in the end, will result in peace. Of course, we know where that ends. Then finally, the new covenant. What is the new covenant? Covenant of Jesus' blood and body. What else do you know about this covenant? It was done once, and it doesn't need to be done again. Once? Believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. And where is there a set of law? Let me say this a different way. Let me say this a different way. Actually, you know what we should do? We should read this. Let's read this. We're going to read Jeremiah 31. And then you can answer this more, more completely. Who would like to read Jeremiah 31 for me? The whole thing. Yeah, I can read it. So Thank I you, get yeah. Where is it? There it is. 31? Yep. That's like six pages. <laughs> yeah, I said I agreed before I knew how many verses I've ever I agree. I'm not sure how many verses. Rookie. How many? Forty. Forty verses. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword and find favor in the wilderness, I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again you will take up your trembles and go out to dance with the joyful. Again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord of our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor, a great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastal lands. 
He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. You disciplined me like an unruly calf, and I have been disciplined. Restore me, and I will return, because you are the Lord my God. After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though, often, though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return, virgin Israel, return to your towns. How long will you wander, unfaithful daughter Israel? The Lord will create a new thing on earth. The woman will return to the man. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, 
who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all, all they have done, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city will, will be rebuilt for me from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will stretch from there straight to the hill of Gareb and then, re, and then turn to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley on the east as far as the corner of the horse gate will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted or demolished. Excellent job. Thank you. What is the new covenant? It's written on our hearts. <coughs> written on hearts. Everyone will know God. Does it sound cool? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeremiah 31 is amazing. Uh, wow. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> But what did they what did they think back then? Well, we know the end yep. of the story. They didn't know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. <coughs> what do you think they thought? What does this sound like to you? Everybody's gonna come back. Everyone's coming back, yeah. dude. Remember, when was Jeremiah thirty one written? Do you remember? Uh, Not the exact date, but the era. Over it was before the exile. Um, Yeah. yeah, going about before Judah and after Babylon. Israel. This is this is this Jeremiah lived at probably one of the worst times you could possibly live, except for maybe the first century in Israel. He lived right around 586 BC, and 586 is what? What is that amazing date in history? Then when. The Babylonians came in and conquered. The Babylonians. Babylonians came in and they smashed mm -hmm. Judah. That yeah. The temple they destroyed. Smashed Jerusalem. They smashed the temple, burned everything to the ground, killed tens of thousands of Jews, and carted the elite cream of the crop, like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, off to foreign lands. Now Jeremiah is writing right at this moment in history, and leading right up to, during, and right after the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah actually doesn't get carted off to Babylon. Where does he go? He flees with some people who he said, don't take me to this place you're going, but he ends up getting kind of pulled along with them to where? Egypt. Egypt. He gets pulled along to Egypt. So Jeremiah is saying during this really horrible time, don't worry. This is what God is telling me. Things are going to be really bad, but guess what? They're going to get a lot better. Is that where he tells him to tells them to build houses and and work the land? This, yeah. So, and the point here is what? The point here is what? There's hope. Hope! Oh, my goodness gracious! This is exactly it. There is hope. There is hope for all of you. For all of you. Now, let's fast forward to Hebrews eight. And in answer to your your question, Tim. Um, 
<coughs> the issue of Jesus aside, <laughs> the Jews absolutely would recognize this as hope for their future too. There was a hope for their future, a hope for renewal, a hope for a reconnection with God. You saw right here in like verses 31, <coughs> 32, it will not be like the covenant I made for their forefathers when I took them by the hand out of Egypt because they what? You broke my covenant. Thus, this is essentially null and void. Essentially null and void. <coughs> but I'm replacing it with something that is unconditional. And the Jews would have seen it that way. Let's go to Hebrews 8. Why, why do you say, I'm just trying to find where it says it's for everyone. I'm, I if you that, look here. Because it says this, this is a covenant I will make with the people. Yes, and when you look at, yes, it is with them. But also let's look here too. Land and the towns. It says they will all know me. Yes, people will live together in Judah and all of its towns. And the people here, the Hebrew for people means generic. It's generic. It's generic. What, what verse are you in? This is 24. <clears throat> it's like we've been grafted in. Yep. And uh, Paul and yep. Paul has uh, spoke about that a lot. You know, like now it's and Peter yeah. when he had his vision, you know, rise up, kill and eat. He had it three times and go see uh, Cornelius. You know, I was at the beginning of the uh, Gentiles being grafted into the covenant. That they, they, they have access to God as well, not just the Jewish nation. So I don't know if Jeremiah fully understood that at the time, but... It says everyone, it says the people. It says here, <clears throat> whoever... So, so here, there's a lot of generalizations. Instead... Everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth set on edge. The time is coming, will I make it with the houses of Judah and Israel? <clears throat> this is the covenant I will make. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, and I will forgive their sins. It will come from a tower, the measuring line will stretch, the whole valley where the dead bodies are. If these decrees vanish, descendants over Israel will never cease to be a nation before me. So the, the de definitely, the point here is that huh, probably what Angela is saying here, it depends on how you read it, okay? Now, for a Jew of the period, to Tim's point, if I say everyone will be grafted in, who do I think, as a Jew, they're talking about? Jews. Everyone who's a Jew. Yeah. Everyone who's a Jew. But you also realize here that that's not saying that. <clears throat> it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, their forefathers, not our forefathers. <laughs> Suddenly you get this idea of this is a cosmopolitan promise. <clears throat> now let's go to what the Hebrew author says because it's a really good question. How do we know it's for everyone? Who would like to read Hebrews chapter 8 for us? I'll read it. Thank you. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for they are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. 
They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish, establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor nor say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So which two conditional covenants are now being replaced? That is a really key question for the Jews. Which two are which covenants? Which two are being replaced here, are being superseded? Exactly. There's two aspects to the new covenant. First of all, what is this, the Abrahamic conditional covenant is the law of circumcision. It says, if you follow this prescription, then you are who? Who are you? As a you are my descendants. That is really, really, really important. You are my descendants if you follow, you know, in this case, If you were a convert to Judaism, you could become a convert to Judaism and thus share in the covenant of the Jewish people. It required you to do two things. As a male, you had to what? Be circumcised. Be circumcised. And secondly, you had to do what? You had to follow the law. If you did that, the covenant is very clear. You become a descendant of Abraham. This, is, this gets at what Angela is asking, and it is a totally legit question because a Jew of the time would have a lot of hard time with this, but this was true. There were pure converts to Judaism. They did exactly what I just said, became circumcised, and they followed the law to the letter, became an Orthodox Jew. They became a descendant of Abraham. There were what was called proselytes. This is kind of that in-between area. This was a person probably either through marriage or um, because of economic benefit became gra- you know, kind of semi-grafted into the Jewish faith, they would, they would attend synagogue, um, they, would, they would participate in the Jewish cultic rituals uh, like the festivals and the sacrifices, but they, they might not do that certain thing that men don't like to do. Okay? 
In that case, they were not a full convert. They were not a full descendant of Abraham, but they were considered a proselyte, meaning they were kind of a follower of the Judaic law, and they might benefit a little bit from business and family relations, but they were not considered fully descendant of Abraham. Okay? And then there was, of course, everyone else. With the new covenant, whether they're circumcised or they're not, makes no difference. It's if they accepted the free gift of eternal life from Jesus, that makes them Abraham's you got it. You just taught the class, Lorna. That's exactly the answer. So now you can see in your head how I can become grafted in to be a descendant of Abraham if I followed physically the old covenants. Now those covenants are broke. They're gone. They're not gone in the sense that they are wiped away. They have been superseded. They still exist but are superseded by the new covenant, which Lorna has very perfectly said, instead of circumcision of your physical body parts, you have to accept my Holy Spirit into what? Your mind and heart. Your heart. Your heart. You have to accept his laws and let, let God write them on your heart through his Holy Spirit. Then you become a what? They'll be my people. And my people means a descendant of? Abraham. Yes. Your heirs. You become part of the house of Judah and Israel. Okay. What? How well did this go over with the Jews of the first century? <laughs> as well as it is in the 21st century. They'd only been doing this sacrificial system how many hundreds of years and generations. I mean, it was in the DNA. That's it. And God told them that that's the way it was for all those years. <clears throat> Can you understand now how hard it is for people to change? It's not just you have been brought up. Let's say, you know, it's one of us, you know, been around 40, 50 plus years. <clears throat> but your, your father was brought up that way, and your mother was brought up that way, and your grandfather, and your great-grandfather. And to your point, Ken, this has been going on for generations, generations. And all of a sudden, someone comes to you and says, as a matter of fact, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> but they were given this message 586 or when, you know, whenever Jeremiah said this, years before Christ. And I refer you to Genesis. Yeah. Adam and Eve, to the fall of man. <clears throat> Chapter 3. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Satan, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the wild animals. You crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, meaning the sons of man and the sons of God. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Folks, they have been told this since at least 2000 BC. A time is coming <laughs> when Satan will be defeated once and for all. They've been told this for thousands of years that all of this is going to get superseded by someone who is going to come and destroy death once and for all. And to your point, how, how many of them accepted this? Well, they, they tried to throw in there, like, we need judges, we need kings, yeah. we need, you know, they all had their idea of what this 
the savior would be. Exactly. Can't be that simple. It can't, right? Mm -hmm. Well, geez, I've, I've read Leviticus, Tim. I know it can't be that simple. Uh, there's, you know, dozens of uh, laws I have to follow. What's the application to today? Think about that. How easy is it for people today to change? Now, maybe they didn't grow up as a, as a son of Abraham. Maybe they grew up as a son of, you know, the enemy. <laughs> well, it still applies today because whether they're Mormon, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jews, or um, so any other community, is by accepting Jesus, they're switching communities. Yeah. And some of them, you actually become dead to those people. And still today for the Jews, it's the same way. The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses have the same deal. I love it. Change of allegiance. Well, and I see within Jeremiah passage that it's still prophetic for us because, you know, his name and his rules and his heart, Christ's heart will be in all people. I mean, we still aren't there yet. Yep. I mean, I think, that, you know, it, it still has a fulfillment that will happen in the future. When you talk to anybody, he says I'm a good person, and he's thinking of the, the law. Mm -hmm. And you really mm -hmm. define good. Mm -hmm. Where did Jesus fall in the spectrum? Was he a show me your results kind of guy, or was he a heart guy? Heart guy. Heart. I hear three votes for heart. What was the benefit of the law? This is a good one. To show what sin is. <coughs> Shows that we can't do it without some exchange. Well, an external source. Okay. This is excellent. So, let's write this down. What was the benefit? What was the purpose of the Old Covenant? Now, when I say the Old Covenant, how many are there? The seven. But I'm really referring to these two, really. The, the law, right? The engrafting and the law. Show what sin is. Convict sinful behavior. What else? I think, Ken, you said something? To show us that we can't do it. Yeah. Show. Well, we need an exterior source to of following it. Fulfill it. Yeah, that was laid clear in the law because they, they put in a sacrificial system to cover their sins, and now we have the ultimate sacrifice that covers all sins. Let's do Hebrews 9. <laughs> You're exactly right, my friend. Who would like to read Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through 28? I promise this is the last reading. I can do it. Thank you, ma'am. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second, second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tab tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, 
the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the most high go only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of, of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law that had been declared by Moses to all the people he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into, holy, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. <clears throat> Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. How else would we characterize the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system? What are the other hallmarks of this? This is a ceremonial cleaning of persons as a well, I'm going to go into the New Covenant with that same statement as opposed to an internal cleansing. A substitution too. Okay. Substitution. What what does that mean? To place. You guys are so smart, y'all know what is it? Go ahead, Lord. What did you say? He took our place. There is a substitution. In the old system, what was being substituted for what? The animals were substituted for our own blood. Boom. What's the problem with that? 
those animals aren't perfect. You run out of animals. Imperfect <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice. Yeah. Folks, they didn't choose. The, the lamb didn't choose. In fact, the lamb probably would have said, no, nope, I don't want to do this. <laughs> For him? I don't think sacrifice. Uh, no, no choice. choice. Yes. <laughs> Meh. Yeah, come with me. <laughs> well, they're not the smartest animal on the block anyway. Imperfect. And what is the other problem here? <laughs> Who is performing? Remember last week we made a big deal about the role of what? Priest. What is the role of a priest in any religion? It's your intermediary. Intermediary between God and man. A priest in the old system is what kind of being? Human intermediary who is flawed. Imperfect. And the, the first thing a priest did when he went into the temple or tabernacle, either on a daily basis for the daily sacrifices or for the Day of Atonement, when the curtain gets drawn back and he makes it for the whole people, is first he has to atone for whose sins? You gotta fix yourself first. You're dirty. It's it's like a mechanic showing up to do a you know spine operation. No offense against mechanics. You're dirty, right? You got grease. I, I, again, you're dirty. You walk in there and you're like, okay, I'm ready to operate. And you're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Wash those hands first, right? It's exactly the same thing. Guy walks in. He goes first. I got to get rid of all this grease and dirt and grime and muck, and then we can do something that's that's pure, right? Well, the problem is. Even a surgeon who walks in, and this is a good analogy, as clean as he thinks he is, what has he got crawling all over his body? Germs. Even a surgeon is not clean. Even a surgeon is not clean. The new covenant says what? There's a perfect sacrifice. There's a perfect. Yeah, sinless. Nice. Sinless. Permanent. Ooh, this is big. Permanent. Because... The old system was based on an imperfect sacrifice, meaning you're unclean, you're imperfect. Thus, every time a human made a sin, you had to do another sacrifice because the cure was not perfect. It's kind of like, you know, and I got a medical person in here. You can either treat the root cause of the disease or you can treat the symptoms. Okay, Think of the law as like your uh, <clears throat> aspirin. <laughs> your aspirin may make you feel better. It may make the symptoms subside. It may cover or mask, and maybe this is a great analogy, it may cover or mask the root disease. What does aspirin not do? Sure. Folks, the new covenant is the antibiotics, if you want to think of it that way. This fixes the root cause of the disease. And what is the disease here? Sin, Sin which leads to death. death. Folks, the medical analogy is perfect. Here, this is permanent. It's a cure. If you had the cure for a disease that you knew was 100% effective and everyone on this planet was going to die from, what would you do? Share it. Share it. And guess what? That cure is... You can walk in. It's free. It's Jesus. You can walk in to the hospital, which you're sitting in right now, and you can have a free shot a free shot of grace. And guess what? But what does a person have to do to be saved? They have to get the shot. <laughs> Folks, this is not universalism. 
This is not Jesus driving down in his car, shooting everyone in the arm with the cure, whether you want it or not. Universalism is not biblical. Well, you have to choose it. You have to choose it. The new, <laughs> the, new, the new covenant in Jeremiah says, this is, the t- this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. <clears throat> Because I will, I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. But what do they have to do to get that? Receive it. They have to receive it. It's similar. If I write a will and give all my stuff to my kids, they still have to receive it. To get it. Must. It what do you have to do? To receive ridiculous. it, what do they have to do? Say yes. Say yes, and usually what? Sign it, yeah. They have to sign their name on it. <clears throat> Say yes, I accept that I will receive this. Must, must accept it. They so have that, to accept So it. that then the attorney can go back and say, they received it. Proof. Jesus interceding on our behalf goes to the Father and says, Brian said yes. Did the will say... Like Brewster's Millions. I don't know how many saw this movie. Why do I always say 80 movies? <laughs> in order to get this last will and testament, I need you to drive your car as fast as you can from L.A. to New York in an hour, right? Most will and testaments, you may do that in a movie, right? Most will and testaments are not like that. They kind of just say, you just have to accept this, and then all of my property is yours. <laughs> the New Covenant says exactly that. If you want this, free grace, which is a cure for your death, your spiritual death, for you to become my people, the people of God, the only thing you have to do is what? Accepted. 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 A man drove to a church building, pulled in the parking lot, parking spot, got out, and this man said, that's where I park. So he said nothing. He went in the building, sat down on a chair before going in the sanctuary, and this lady come up and she says, that's where I sat. He said nothing. Pretty soon he went into the sanctuary to sit down to hear the worship service. And he sat down and the man said, you're sitting in my seat. Well, this wasn't the most conducive to wanting him to want to stay. Mm-hmm. And then they looked at him. They saw nail holes in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and they went over to him and they said what happened to you and he said I took your place powerful powerful how much do we resent Jesus for what he did? How much do people of the world resent what he did? I hate you. You're such a bigoted Christian. All you do is hate people. No. No. Worldly people that call themselves Christians hate each other. Christians who are still learning to be disciples of Jesus from time to time are immature and say things on Facebook that they shouldn't. <clears throat> Present company excluded, of course. <laughs> just have to accept it. And then we get this whole thing about what accepting means. Accepting does not just mean I acknowledge. Acknowledge is not accepting. <laughs> and well, that's a different lecture. What truth do you derive from Hebrews chapter 9? According to Hebrews chapter 9, 
Who does the author of Hebrews think this is for? This for according to Hebrews. Anyone, everyone. Anyone who find the words. receives it, accepts it. Yeah. In faith. Have to have faith to receive it. That it's real. But we kind of decided last week that he was writing to other Jews. Yeah. Christianized Jews. Yeah. So what does that imply? I think he was using the law and the prophets to to make a point about, you know, this is how you as a Jew can reconcile your Christianity. But I think as we keep going along, you know, I think he's pointing to a larger context of who is all involved in it. Just as man was destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so there is no universalism. Once you die, you don't get no second chances. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of who? Jews? You have to be careful when you read the text. Empirically, this says of many people. It does not say Jews. It says many people. I agree with you that the tone the author is taking here implies this is a free gift for anyone who wants to become a descendant of Abraham. Well, and he, during his ministry, he kind of showed them a way, too. He talked to a Samaritan yeah. woman, and he, he mentioned that, that he had never found such great faith in all of Israel except for that centurion. He's like, you know, I have yep. people underneath me that I go and go do this and go, go to there, and they do it for me. So you just say the word and it will be done. So he showed his disciples that it wasn't strictly for the Jewish nation. This is where you have to put the sum total of the New Testament together. If you read Jesus, the first... <laughs> Jesus makes the claim over and over in all four Gospels, I have come to the lost children of Israel, but guess what the lost children of Israel did to me? They rejected me. So I went to a Sumerian woman. I went to a Syrian woman, and I went to a Roman soldier. And guess what? They showed faith beyond anything that the children of Israel ever showed to me. Who receives the blessings of the new covenant? How can you take this message out into the world and share it with others? You guys. Well, Paul used to take and find out where this person was at, you know what they believed, and then go from there. Excellent. On how to Excellent. bring him to Christ. Application, perfect. Number one, know your audience. Number two. Share your own story. Yes, thank you, Ken. Sh show, maybe, share your own story. There's two things a person will never be able to refute about Christianity. Number one, that at least a billion people who have ever walked on the 
face of this planet have breathed have claimed that the gospel has changed their lives. Number two, that they can't refute, is your testimony. If you believe that Jesus has changed your life, tell them. And you better live a changed life. Ha! Ah. <laughs> Bear fruit <laughs> of a changed life. Or you get to. Is this a command or an, or an expectation? Is this correlation or causation here? I like to. I like a little shift where huh? if I if I live this way, I get I get a better life. Oh, to say you better sounds like you know like, and that's Reap I'm the one that's got a sacrifice here. And I don't think that's the case. Here we go. Can I do it both way? Both ways. Your application is bear fruit of a changed life. If you feel that you and your heart have been changed, let's see some fruit. It's not how you're going to be saved, your fruit. It's going to be the evidence that you have been saved. <laughs> what this guy just said, reap the fruit of a changed life. How awesome is that? You can have a stable relationship with your loved one. You can live in peace with your neighbors. Goodness gracious, isn't that great these days? You, you can have, have an eternal promise. You have hope. <clears throat> Uh, live loved. <laughs> Some of this, you know, that last one, you know, step into God's rest. I mean, that's, that's really the fruit of the changed life is because God promises rest or blessings. <clears throat> and, you know, that's not necessarily going to be monetary. It's not going to necessarily be physical. You know, it, mm-hmm. you know it's going to be a spiritual. It's going to be a changed heart, changed mm-hmm. mind, changed life. And that's where God gives you his rest because you can give all his burdens to him and he will take them from you. Awesome. Awesome. The knowledge that God said, I will never leave you. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God is still there. I love this. He also said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't promise that things would always be hearts and roses <laughs> but he said he would never leave except the blessings of God's unconditional <coughs> promise there's a reason that God through his prophets left the last covenant of the Old Testament as an unconditional one it is an eternal promise actually the last two are unconditional eternal promises how awesome is that to accept that alright thank you for joining us we'll see you next week